Just a little question. Who is willing to share with the people why are you altar serving? Why do you like that? Why you think that's cool to do? Anyone? Ty. <laughs> because God is cool. Because God is cool. I like that answer. <laughs> well, what do you th what do you think? Because I know I'm serving God in a special way. Wow! Applause for you as well. And the third? No? Yes? Okay. Um, I like the experience, and like it's just fun knowing I'm serving God in a like special way, and like Kate said, and yeah. Serving God in a special way. What can be better than that? Thank you. So just that we know what's the center of our attention here, okay? Now last week, the school principal and I, we paid a visit to the archives of the archdiocese located at the San Fernando Mission. Now the purpose was to collect historical data for the celebration of our Jubilee year. Significant events, blueprints, correspondence with bishops, etc. The first thing we ran into, however, was a fair number of letters from parishioners with complaints over their pastors. <laughs> like this. So you may have wondered what happened with them. No, they were not thrown away. They're still there, but no worries. I didn't read, you, I didn't read yours. <laughs> the paper archive was not updated after 2006 when email took over almost all written communication. So your emails should be somewhere, but I haven't seen them. Now, many of you know that the original location of St. Mark Church and school was at Victoria Ave. Anyone who knew that? Yes, of course, Barbara. You are our living memory. It's about a mile from here, a wooden structure that was served as a church. But what I think that nobody, including Barbara, knows that for the first months after December 1923, the masses were held at Angelo's Barber Shop at Trolley Way. I found that in the archive. Well, this is just to say that the most important things can have very humble beginnings. Imagine 30, 40 people in a barber shop having mass. Maybe you can get your hair cut at the same time. We don't do that anymore. Now, like the Eucharist, the defining aspect of our Catholic life, how did eating and drinking, that what human beings do out of physical necessity, how did that become something associated with God himself? And that's the one we are searching for. You heard the testimony. And the answer goes even beyond our first reading today that speaks about 
the manna in the desert. If you look a little bit earlier, in the story of the Ten Commandments, Moses takes 70 chosen people up the mountain where he read the content of the tablets of the covenant to them and then sprinkled them with sacrificial blood, the blood of the covenant, the same blood that we use today. And that paragraph in Deuteronomy ends by saying, after gazing on God, they still could eat and drink. I thought about that a few minutes. After gazing on God, they still could eat and drink. Why is that so special? Because in those days, it was either see God and be dead or live your life on earth. There was nothing in between. It didn't go well, the idea of the presence of God with the biological needs of human being. And in some religions, that is still the case. It's still very difficult to reconcile. It was be alive or see God. But it was in the great miracle of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments from God that the faithful could now freely relate to God as with a friend without having to fear dead. That's the revolutionary change that happens with the ancestors of our faith. So that we still can say, God is good. Or with Thai, God is cool. And that's why we want to be with God. Now it's good to be with God. Now then, the manna in the desert... The bread from heaven brought the relationship with God to a whole different level. That bread given by God himself even prevented them from dying in the desert. When they were totally out of their wits and hungry, God let that come down from heaven. And that was not only a physical solution, a physical salvation, it also had a spiritual element. As we heard in the day first reading today, one doesn't live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, there is a little bridge to Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh. Now that manna from God was a love letter from him to the people journeying from slavery to freedom. And we hardly understand how significant that journey is from slavery that is the paradigm of dominance. I do this with you because I can. The dominance, the power that we have over other, that defines what we do and what we think. And they were moving away from that. They were moving to the given land, to the promised land, to the land of freedom, the land of milk and honey. The idea that life is 
a gift. A gift that we don't even deserve. We don't have to torture life out of someone else to get, to get us better. That life comes freely from God himself. And what we celebrate on Corpus Christi brings this idea of gift to a glorious fulfillment in the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. By dying on the cross and rising from the dead out of free will, he gave us his body and blood as food for eternal life. Not only our daily bread, as we say in the Our Father, but our bread for every day and for every step on our way to eternal life. This is such a great gift that we cannot keep it for ourselves. And that is why the church has processions on Corpus Christi, a tradition that the Office of Worship asks us to bring to life again this year. And we will, publicly. After this Mass, those who choose to do so will process over Kirtle Lane, over Lincoln and Garfield, to the parish hall, like we did at the evening of Holy Thursday. But this time, it will be broad daylight. We share with the world that there is nothing greater on earth than the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's a truth that is hard to explain. Whenever we try to capture it in formulas or in what we feel about it, the true meaning of the sacrament seems to slip away through our fingers like a wet piece of soap, just gone. It is bigger and more encompassing than anything we can make up for ourselves. Maybe that is why the ministry of altar serving is so attractive to our youth. You feel that you are doing something important, but it doesn't even feel that complicated to do. And there is another truth of our Catholic faith. Some parts of the Catholic life we internalize simply by doing it, like coming to Mass every Sunday, to pray the rosary with your family, to the night prayer, the liturgy of the hours. All those habits, they create a muscle memory that helps us to hold course even in times that we are confused about who we are and where we are headed. As I said earlier, the greatest things in life have humble beginnings. A fulfilling faith life is indeed an immense treasure to build up and to preserve for the future. But it could just start by serving at Mass by praising a rosary when you cannot fall asleep, or when you're nervous for an upcoming surgery. It could bring our lives from simply surviving God's presence through finding manna in the desert to finally receiving Christ himself through his body and through his blood until he comes again. 